It's the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I'm your host, Chris Carter. We're at the halfway point of Steelers training camp, so I'm going to talk with Brian Bacco about superlatives, about best, worst players, best things about training camp. We'll talk about that, and we'll also have some Penguins talk between Adam Bittner and Matt Benzel about the Eric Carlson trade. It's an action-packed episode of the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Let's get into it. You are now listening to the North Shore Drive podcast. A show on all things Pittsburgh sports from the writers of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Hosted by Christopher Carter. Hello and welcome to the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I'm your host, Chris Carter, joined by Brian Batko, one of our Steam Steelers beat writers here at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. We can find all of our written content at post-gazette.com, and you can find this show and all of our video and audio content on our podcasting platforms, and especially on YouTube. Like this video if you enjoy it. Subscribe to this YouTube channel to get all of our daily content, as well as the Monday, Wednesday, Friday shows of the North Shore Drive podcast, where we talk all things Pittsburgh sports. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. No better place to get new windows and doors installed in your home than Pella, who can help you save on energy costs year-round. Schedule a free in-home consultation with your local Pella Windows and Doors to find the right product for your home and budget by giving them a call at 866-593-1560 to discuss your project further. As I said, we got Brian on the show. Brian, we're halfway through training camp. I think our collective tans as reporters deserves to be among some of the like the best parts of camp because I think we've handled it pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I sunscreen up uh, religiously every day at camp. I usually hit myself when I get out of the car in the morning because you go. to take you behind the scenes, first thing we do is we go up to uh, the entrance to the Steelers locker room at St. Vincent. When they come yeah. off the field for walkthrough, we're out there for about an hour getting some interviews, talking to players, more so probably talking to each other. But uh, and then I and then I sunscreen again after lunch before I go out there and watch practice. Oh, you double up. I only do yeah. one at the start of the day. That's it. Yeah. Well, I'm not as tan as you naturally, <laughs> so I need to take a little bit more precaution. <laughs> Let's get to some serious topics here, Brian. I think that we everyone will kind of be on a consensus here, but I want to get your answer before I give mine. Who do you feel is the quote unquote MVP so far of training camp? Who? Um. I'm going to go Joey Porter Jr. Ooh, see, I was going to go George Pickens. Okay. And those are two are rivals with each other. But tell tell people why you think Joey Porter Jr. is MVP. Well, I think, number one, he's risen to the occasion right away as a rookie. Not that I'm grading on a curve for this superlative category, but I think that helps. I think he's made plays on the ball when it's come his way, which was the biggest knock on him, really, coming out of college. I think there were a lot of draft analysts and, and scouts, people who watched him at Penn State, who would, would say if, if he could just uh, get his hands on the ball and pick off some more passes, he'd be a clear-cut top half of the first rounder, let alone uh, the, the fringe first rounder the, that he ended up being and fell to the first pick of the second round. So he's looked good to me, Chris, better even than I expected. I think it's, it's at a point now where it's going to be hard for the Steelers to keep him off the field a lot, even from day one of – his rookie year, there will be certain packages to consider there with Levi Wallace and Patrick Peterson also in the mix. But Joey Porter Jr., this moment, this opportunity does not look too big for him at all. I could, you know, I could have gone with a couple different options, but uh, he's he's looked very good to me as a corner. And, you know, again, I do have to just naturally give a little bit of extra credit because he's a rookie stepping in here ready to go. 
I hear you. He has stepped in. He is. He has made his presence felt, and he's been a playmaker. Like for all the highlights of uh, of George Pickens catching him over, and I, that's why I have George Pickens as my number one guy right now, at least halfway through campus, because it seems like every day he makes some crazy highlight play, and he's been a playmaker for that. He's had some but, drops like, too, though, Chris. He's had some drops, and he's had yes. some moments where he stepped out of bounds. So, like to me, I guess you know there was a lot more action coming George Pickens' way naturally mm-hmm. as a receiver, but. Um, I don't know. I guess the highlights have been good. He hasn't always been on all of his P's and Q's to this point. No, I agree. He has to be more consistent. And I think yeah. that's the biggest thing about his game that's get, that, 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 need, that needs to get there. But Joey Porter Jr. has impressed me a lot. He's made interceptions. He's broken up passes. He's also just been in the right spot to not make allow a pass to come his way. And I think yeah. that's when you're really a good corner. And I think Patrick Peterson has done that a lot where he's lined up with George Pickens and he's just walled him off to the point that it's just like Kenny Pickett's not even going to look his way because you're just blanketed. And Joey Porter's done junior has done that a good bit this camp as well. So that's one guy that that's one thing there. Give me your most improved player from like how you saw, like maybe some guy you saw struggle early on and where, and you're impressed with how far they've come already in camp. Hmm. See, I was thinking more of last year to this year, or we could do that way too, yeah. At which point, I think it's an obvious answer of Kenny Pickett. He hasn't been he hasn't been great this camp, but you know he's been pretty good. And, and I think back to early on in in last year's camp when he was a rookie stepping in, he just looked so jittery, very anxious in the pocket, was not real comfortable, especially that first week. He rounded into form a bit from there. You know, I can remember some back shoulder throws that kind of had me like, okay, this guy might be starting sooner than later in year one, but. Um, it's just, you know, it's always tricky evaluating the quarterbacks this time of year, and especially Kenny Pickett, who he's got the weight of the city on his shoulders. When you when you try to assess the way he's playing in camp, it's kind of like, okay, how much do you compare from this time last year to now, or do you try to compare the way he was playing at the end of last season to now? That's so much harder to do because there are yeah. so many variables. You're playing in a controlled environment, practice versus against opposing teams. So um, that would be my answer for most improved. But uh, a couple other guys who I think have been very good from last year to this year are Connor Hayward, Calvin Austin, and uh, a non-second year guy, Cody White, who I think has had a really nice camp so far. I feel you on that. I think my most improved, if I was talking about specifically from what I saw at the start of this camp to where they are now, I think I'd put Darnell Washington because – one, we couldn't see him blocking when the pads weren't on, but he looked uncoordinated as a route runner a lot to start this camp. And he's still not like an elite route runner. Yeah, he's still like kind of lumbering, but he's effective. Exactly. He has found a way to kind of deal with his lack of expertise in just getting separation. And it's, he's made it work for him a lot better than he was at the start of camp. And so now, like, he's getting reps with the first team. And he wasn't doing that to start camp, which I think is very interesting to see. So we've talked about some positives. Let's talk. Let, let, let's go into. Well, I was going to say one more note on Darnell Washington. I mean, sure. he he blew up the combine by running that four six four with the um, the four oh eight twenty yard shuttle. But and, and as impressive as that is athletically, I mean, he's the guy is a freak. I, that's I thought he was going to be an early second round pick, if not even sneaking into the first round because of some of those testing numbers. However, he doesn't really play to those timed speeds, in my opinion, Chris. 
that doesn't mean he's not going to be a good pass catcher in the NFL. He's just going to have to do it in a little bit different way. He doesn't have quite that agility uh, in a game setting the way I've seen it. But again, slow motion can sometimes uh, still get the job done. And he's caught the ball. He's been a very reliable target when it's come his way. No, I, I feel you on that. Let's talk about maybe who's the most disappointing so far of, of training camp. Someone with higher expectations who who has caught your eye to not really be, be not really be delivering. Who has not caught my eye? Then I guess. Um, I guess yes. There you go. One guy who I thought might be a little bit more standout-ish. That's not a word, but a little bit. One yeah. one guy that I thought would jump out a little bit more, be a little bit more effective, is Marcus Golden, who they mm. acquired to be their number three pass rusher this offseason. You know, th- this might be a case of he's 32 years old. I think he's in year nine. He's been there, done that, never with the Steelers, but with the Cardinals, with the Giants. He might be kind of saving some gas in the tank for the real thing. But I would just say to this point, like all things being equal, Nick Herbig has been more impactful as a backup pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think he's going to play ahead of Marcus Golden, at least not to open the season. Uh, but Golden's a guy that just uh, – you know, I, I thought they'd be getting a little bit more, and maybe they will once the games matter. Maybe even once the preseason rolls around, if he gets some snaps, uh, maybe we'll see what he can do then. I'll say my guy would be Kevin Dotson, simply because he knows that, like, you know, Isaac Samalo has taken his job. But if he plays in a way that makes him the most notable interior offensive lineman that comes off the bench, he could set himself up for a really good contract somewhere in the NFL. And it's just the first two weeks of training camp. He could play really well in games and we'll forget all about it. But I haven't really noticed him kind of step up when he's been on the been been running with the twos and when he's been given an opportunity to run with the ones. And at this point, I think the most notable backup interior offensive lineman is Nate Herbig. Um, and not that that's a slight on on Nate Herbig for, you know, like, you know, like, oh, he's he just happens to I think that Nate Herbig has played well, but I I just think that Kevin Donson if he wants to maximize his opportunity to get a really solid contract after this season, as his rookie contract is up after this year, he, he needs to step it up and we need to see more from him when, uh, when he, when, when he's on the field and it's time to get physical. Yeah. Both are listed as the top backups at each guard spot on the depth yeah. chart that came out Sunday night. And I think in reality, if it were a in practice depth chart, Herbig would be the top backup at left guard, center, and right guard. But that's not how they do depth charts in the NFL. And I suppose in the next segment, we'll talk about uh, some more takeaways from that initial release by the Steelers. We will. That's where we're going to next here on the North Shore Drive podcast, talking about the Steelers' first release depth chart and where we might think the the biggest changes might happen before week one. We'll talk about that here in a minute on the North Shore Drive podcast. But first, I want to remind you guys, this show is sponsored by Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh, where there's no better place to get new windows and doors installed in your home than Pella, who can help you save on energy costs year-round. Schedule a free in-home consultation with your local Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh to find the right product for your home and budget. You can give them a call at 866-593-1560 to discuss your project further. Again, that's 866-593-1560 to get started planning on your new windows and doors installation with Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. Back here on the North Shore Drive podcast, I'm your host, Chris Carter, here with Brian Batko, talking all things Steelers training camp. We just went through like our mid-training camp superlatives, but now let's talk about the depth chart. Now, the first official depth chart has been released. Uh, you can get it 
at Steelers.com. We're right. We wrote about it on the Post Gazette. You can get our, our, our reaction to it there. But let's talk about it. Let's start with the offense. Looking at the offense, offensive line, as predicted, Dan Moore Jr. is the starting left tackle. Isaac Sayomal at left guard, Mason Cole at center, James Daniels at right guard, Chukuma Korfor at right tackle. Your backup lineman right now, Kendrick Green, still at center, Nate Herbig at right guard, Kevin Dotson at left guard, Broderick Jones, backup left tackle, Loraven Clark, backup right tackle there. Sticking with the offensive line there. Do, do you think that Dan Moore Jr. holds on to his spot at the starting left tackle? Because in my opinion, I think Broderick Jones has done a really good job of making it a case that we're going to need to watch that closely in the preseason games. Yeah, I think I think Broderick Jones still wins that job by week one. But with every passing day that Jones doesn't get more reps with the starters, I feel like there's more of a chance that Moore does hang on. But again, it is so early. Like we, we feel like uh, it hasn't been enough progress for Broderick Jones. Why isn't he getting more reps with the starters? I'm sure there are some people at home watching, listening, reading, thinking that. But you got to remember, you know, there is still a month plus to go until the regular season. It's a double-edged sword because time is of the essence, I think, when you want any unit to gel, but especially your starting five offensive linemen. However, I can easily, Chris, envision a scenario where Broderick Jones gets a little bit of a bump up in these next two practices tomorrow and Wednesday with the starters. And then maybe he gets a series or a drive or a possession with them Friday night in Tampa. And maybe when we roll back to training camp next week, he's splitting time with Dan Moore. So I think there's there could be a succession plan in that way that the coaches have laid out. And, you know, they'll adjust that if they don't think he's up for it. But to your point, everything I've seen from him so far shows me that he is up for it, and that's why I'm still, I don't know, 55-45 that I think he he ends up winning that job by week one. I want to talk about what might be the deepest, quote-unquote, uh, room in, on the Steelers roster. That might be tight end right now because Pat Frymouth, you clear number one. Uh, Zach Gentry, still number two. Your number three on the depth chart right now is Connor Hayward, who's also listed as the only fullback on the roster. Then your number four is Darnell Washington. And I have to say, number 87, Rodney Williams, has looked like a really good third tight end, but he's the fifth tight end on this roster. Uh, and your number six tight end is Kendrick Green. And oh, he was pancaking people he's, over he's the been, that, That's been spectacular to watch, like him just moving this behemoth, just running the way he does and hitting people in space. That's his strength. If, if, if he could block standing, like if he could block out of his stance that the way that he blocks on the move, that guy would be an all-pro center. Yeah, <laughs> this he, is probably he might be like he might be playing the wrong sport. That dude should maybe be playing rugby or something, but um, <laughs> or lacrosse. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, I mean the tight end room. I think it's good from from top to bottom. Like you said, you know Rodney Williams who can uh, who can make some nice catches from time to time, and has also had a has showed a little bit of a mean streak as a blocker occasionally, which is unexpected to me because he was a receiver in college at Tennessee Martin. I mean, he's just not going to have a chance. He's, he's the odd man out. I could see if the Steelers will try to keep him around again on their practice squad because he does have some intriguing traits. But I think in the end, you know, those top four all make it partly because Hayward can do double duty. I think Darnell Washington being listed fourth does not reflect the reality of what we're watching every day in practice. If anything, he is ascending right now past Zach Gentry if you know, that's probably one of those situations where Mike Tomlin is not going to hand anything to anybody. And if you're trying to motivate a rookie, especially a third rounder who slipped in the draft like Darnell Washington, let him see on paper if he needs to 
where he sits in the pecking order and simply, you know, keep keep that fire going to rise higher. Quarterback is kind of obvious. Pickett, Trubisky, Rudolph, Morgan. We, we don't need to delve too, too much into that. Quickly here on receivers so we can move to defense. We got the, the top three receivers listed as starters is Johnson, Robinson, and Pickens. Then in the second part, we have Boykin, Calvin Austin, then Keen Butler on the outside. Then third, you got Cody White, Gunnar Olszewski, Jamarcus Bradley. And then fourth, Dan Chisna, Jordan Bird, and Dez Fitzpatrick. If the Steelers were to keep, let's say six, let's just let's shoot for the high end. Who are the six out of this group that you think are going to make it and, and be there by week one? I'd say Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, mm-hmm. Allen Robinson, mm-hmm. Calvin Austin. Mm-hmm. And then my last two spots, very subject to change the rest of the way. But for right now, I will stick with the guys they know the best because that's always who needs to be unseated by newcomers this time right. of year. So I'll say Miles Boykin for his uh, special teams coverage ability as a gunner and gunner for his special teams returning ability because, you know, he's also looked pretty decent as a receiver in the offense. I thought he did this time a year ago, too. Really didn't get many chances with the offense in 2022. So I still have those two, you know, making the back end of the roster. But again, I've got them in pencil, not pen, because guys like Cody White, and yeah. maybe even if he starts to find some consistency, Hakeem Butler could potentially try to get in that mix. I hear that there. Let's flip to defense. We talked a lot of offense there. But defensively, your starters, Montrevious Adams still starting at nose tackle. Larry Ogunjobi and uh, Cam Hayward, your other two starting defensive linemen. TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith, your edge rushers. Cole Holcomb and Landon Roberts, your inside linebackers. Your corners, uh, left and right, Levi Wallace and Patrick Peterson, your nickel. Uh, is uh, Chandon Sullivan, then your strong safety. Listed both as as your starting on the first team is DeMonte Casey and – no, no, wait, am I, am I reading this right? Yeah, I think no, it's yeah. saying both it's of them or. are – Oh, it's an or. Okay, I didn't yeah. see the or. I get that. But so both of them are listed there, so they're both listed as strong safeties. And, of course, think yeah. of Fitzpatrick, your free safety there. Um I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff here. Let's look at that safety thing and how it works. Now, DeMonte Casey has been hurt, as has Keanu Neal, so we haven't got a chance to see much of them. Um, But, Brian, I feel like it's going to end up being KZ primarily and then Neal as, like, the third safety who comes on but gets a lot of snaps because they'll want all three of them on the field a lot more. I think they'll want that some, but also I see DeMonte Casey being the guy who's your safety in the nickel defense and I think he'll end up playing more in the end because he's going to be the passing situation strong safety and most of the time in this league the teams you're facing are in 11 personnel and they're looking to throw the ball more often than not but I think Keanu Neal is going to be you know the base 3-4 strong safety I think on the obvious rundowns they're going to want his physicality in there instead of KZ and yeah they'll also have the option to get all three of them out there but at this early stage you know (laughs) They haven't even had all three of them healthy uh, for about a week or a week and a half now. You know, Neil was kind of the only man standing for a little bit. Then he went down. So um, they can't even they've struggled to get one of them out there lately, Chris, let alone all three of them. So they'll have to continue tinkering with that well into August. But, uh, yeah, you probably feel like you're at a pit football Pat Narduzzi. It's, it's literally what we go through. Noah and I are just like, I see that, and I'm like, oh, no, not another one. Not another or, because Pat Narduzzi loves to keep you guessing. There should probably be an or at Nick at Nickelback, because 
from what I've seen, Chandon Sullivan and Elijah Riley are neck and neck right now for who is at that position the most. And Patrick Peterson sometimes gets it. And, and he'll be there too. No doubt about it. That That's interesting. Quick note on the defensive line. Nose tackle. Adams, then Fajoko, then Benton, which – Again, light a fire under the rookie, man. Just make him yeah. think. Make him think he's got to go way harder and play way better than he has so far. Listen, as a person who's seen Keanu Benton hit some people, I don't want to be the person that he like points his head at when it, whenever he's not happy about something. So uh, maybe that's the point is to get him ready for this Buccaneers game there. But do you see Joey Porter Jr. being a starter by by week one, or do you think it still kind of is Patrick Peterson and? Uh, Levi Wallace on the outside with Sullivan in the slot slash Keanu Neal. And then the only time Porter gets out there is when Peterson jumps to the slot. Or do you think Joey Porter Jr. jumps into becoming a starter soon? I'm 50-50 on this one too, but I think if I had to bet on it right now, I would say, yeah, when they open up against San Francisco at Acrisure Stadium, first defensive snap will have Joey Porter Jr. and Levi Wallace outside. Well, you know what? On first down, how about, let me put it this way. On first down, the first snap of the game, I don't know that Joey Porter Jr. will be on the field. But I think by the end of that game, the three cornerbacks who play the most we uh, I see what you're will be Levi Wallace, Patrick Peterson, and, and Joey Porter Jr. I hear that. That makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of things that we could keep going on about this depth chart, and we will as time goes on, because this is just the first iteration of the depth depth chart. It will change, and this is just the first drop, but we wanted to talk about it after it was, it's been first created, and we'll keep talking about it as we get. And also, it's league mandated. Otherwise, Mike Tomlin would not put any of of his 90 players on a piece of paper for anyone. Mike ain't ain't giving us nothing that's not forced to be given to us. So uh, I I agree entirely. With a great assault is my point. Right. So we'll see how this plays out, but expect, expect this to be how things are laid out when Friday comes and they and the Steelers take on the Buccaneers in Tampa Bay this Friday. We'll have a lot more to talk about that then. We've got to pass it over to our friends who want to talk to some Penguins with you. If you've been waiting to hear about the Eric Carlson trade, well, you're going to hear about it. Adam Bittner and uh, Matt Benzel will take over in just a minute here. But first, before we get to them, I want to talk to you guys about our great sponsors at GameTime.co. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful, and that's where GameTime comes in because they're the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy and theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee that can't be beaten you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you're about to have just download the game time app to your phone today it allows you to book tickets even up to the last minute right before a concert or an event or any event that you're going to and this again includes concerts football games basketball games baseball games comedy events theater events anything you can think of with tickets most likely gametime.co is going to help you get a get, get a great deal on it and the game time's best game time's best uh, price guarantee means that you always get the best price and if you find tickets to the same event in the same section and row for less somewhere else game time will credit you 110 percent of the difference of those prices snag the tickets without the stress with game time download the game time at creating a code create an account and use code pitt pit for 20 dollars off your first purchase or go to their website gametime.co game time for all for all the best prices terms just supply create an account and redeem code pitt pit for 20 dollars off Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Welcome back to the North Shore Drive podcast. I am Adam Bittner subbing in this last segment for Christopher Carter. Some scheduling issues with him running between Steelers camp and pit camp. He's a busy guy. Uh, but I am here today with Matt Venzel, our Steelers 
or excuse me, our Penguins insider to talk the Eric, Eric Carlson trade. Matt, it feels like we've been talking about this happening for a long time, the potential for it to happen. Uh, you know, what I was reading in the last week or two is that there real, really was no other suitor for the Norris Trophy winner this past season than the Penguins, but it, it still wasn't clear whether it was going to get done. The deal finally gets done Sunday. The Penguins send uh, a slew of assets, including a couple of top draft picks, Jeff Petrie, Jan Ruda, uh, Casey DeSmith, Mark, Mikhail Granlund. All of them get sent either to Montreal or San Jose in exchange for, you know, one of the best blue liners in hockey today. I guess give me your reaction first, and then we can kind of dig into the finer points of this deal. Yeah, I mean, we've been waiting for this for a while, and it seemed like at least a 50-50 chance it was going to happen ever since the Penguins made their initial push for him on July 1st. And But still, when you saw the details come through on Sunday, it, it just was like, wow, just in the scope of the deal and what it took for the Penguins to make this happen. I mean, you mentioned all the names. That, that's not even everyone that was involved in this deal. And it's almost you have to almost look at it as two deals. I mean, what they gave up just to get the financial wiggle room to make this happen, um, you know, probably took a second round pick and then a first round pick going to get the player himself. So um, it's very complicated. That's why a third team needed to come in. I know Jeff Petrie had a no partial no trade clause of complicated things. So, um, you know, Cal Dubas's uh, first big trade is the GM. Um, you know, he certainly uh, he certainly had to work for it and kind of showed um, the cleverness that I think was one of the assets that drew the Penguins to him in the first place. The fact that he was willing to come up with creative solutions to try to get things done. Obviously, Carlson's very highly regarded, 33 years old, coming off a 101 point season with San Jose. But he played a lot of his games, you know, late at night on the East Coast. A lot of Penguins fans may not be familiar with his game in the last handful of years. What kind of player are the Penguins getting specifically um, in Eric Carlson? Why is he someone um, that any team would would probably want on their blue line? Sure. Um, He's a great player, obviously. He won the Norris Trophy last year, first defenseman in about 30 years to top 100 points. Um, You know, he's absolutely dynamic with the puck, um, both in the transition game with breakouts and also just jumping into the play himself. So, um, you know, the thought of having him or Chris Letang, they're both righties, they're not going to play together. Uh, but having one of those two guys on the ice for 48 out of 60 minutes of a game is has to be pretty appealing to, to Mike Sullivan, who wants to get the Penguins transition game back going. And then you look at the power play. I mean, this guy is a wizard on the power play. Um, you know, the Penguins were in the middle of the pack last year, but they were maddeningly, maddeningly inconsistent. So he should help them there as well. Now he has defensive shortcomings. Um, those are well documented. He's also been playing for a bad San Jose team the last couple of years, which makes his plus minus look bad. So, I mean, it's definitely a bet, uh, a big bet the Penguins are making here that he's going to play better defensively with, you know, a lot more on the line in Pittsburgh. Um, but I think this was a good gamble for the Penguins. I mean, I think Kyle Dubas did pretty good work earlier in the offseason, but I don't think it was enough to really move the needle. I think this one does. I'm not saying the Penguins are, are cup contenders, but, um, you know, they certainly up their chances. They're going to be a lot more fun, I think. And, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a fascinating trade on so many levels because of what's going in, what's going out, uh, and how long it took for this to come together. You mentioned the power play. I kind of wanted to ask about that fit specifically with the Penguins. I think he'd fit on any team, Matt, but how does he fit specifically with the Penguins? What does that power play look like with him 
and Chris Letang in this lineup. Um, is that something that's going to play out in, in training camp, or, or how do you see that going? I expect Carlson to be on the top power player. The question is whether Chris Letang will be there as well. Um, you know, we've seen the Penguins tinker with, you know, two defensemen on the power play previously. Not a lot of success, but, you know, this is a different story with Carlson. We'll see where it goes. But I, I think we could see at least to start the year, especially with Jake Ensel out. That's one guy who would be in the top power play unit normally. You know, we'll see Carlson up um, at the point, and then we'll see Chris Letang on that left flank there, the spot that, you know, Phil Kessel was in a few years ago. I mean, the Penguins, at least they they said they wanted to move guys around <laughs> with their personnel. They kind of got away from that over the last couple of years um, so maybe we see a little bit more movement and positional interchangeability, but I expect Carlson to be the quarterback of the power play. Um, you know, he's better than Chris Letang, as good as Chris Letang is, and we'll just kind of see what kind of role Letang settles into or if he ultimately gets bumped down to the second power play unit. Talked a lot about the guy coming in. Let's talk a little bit about the guys going out. We mentioned Ruda, Granlund, uh, DeSmith. I'm going to get him to him in a minute, um, and Petrie as well. With all those guys going out, what does that mean for this roster? I know you wrote an analysis piece about that that I'm going to include in the description, uh, but I wanted to let you kind of give the, the bullet points if you wanted to explain how get, getting rid of that many guys is going to impact the rest of the roster. Sure. I mean, the Petrie one's the obvious one. I mean, he was the direct, you know, Carlson's sort of direct replacement for him. I mean, as soon as the Penguins are linked to Carlson, it was clear that Petrie was going to be gone. So, uh, Carlson obviously is a is significant upgrade over Petrie. I mean, Petrie's an interesting case. I, I mean, I think he was pretty solid last year, but he still didn't meet expectations. I mean, the Penguins in, internally thought he was going to be better. I know fans had higher hopes. So it's not like he was bad. He just didn't, you know, he wasn't a $6 million player. So Carlson is a big-time upgrade. I think them moving on from Ruta as, as well is a little bit surprising just because you didn't think both guys would go. But – you know, Chad Ruedel is just as good as him. Maybe he's even better, and, and he makes a fraction of the salary that Ruda makes. So, you know, it does raise questions about who's going to be on the penalty kill, and the Penguins did get smaller on their blue line. But, you know, I don't think it's going to matter that much that Jan Ruda was included in that deal. And then as far as Grandlin goes, yeah, I mean, he's the one we've been watching, um, you know, over the weekend. I, I think the fact that he could have possibly been bought out, um, you know, Sunday or Monday is kind of what made this deal come together. It sort of forced the Penguins to, to push to make this deal happen now. So, you know, they could have bought him out. Instead, they were able to move him on to San Jose. I mean, obviously, he was a big-time disappointment. But, you know, there's a chance he could have helped them this year. Um, you know, they don't have a lot of playmaking in their bottom six. Jake Kensel is going to be out. So while Granlin is, is clearly not a $5 million player, um, you know, it does leave a little bit of a void there because, you know, theoretically – there was a chance he, he could have helped them. So definitely interesting to see that all these guys were involved, but, you know, this could be a situation in the end where, you know, the Penguins obviously got good in the top on their lineup by adding Carlson, but maybe even through addition by subtraction, they got better at the bottom of the roster too. That's, that's going to be something fascinating to watch here this season. Yeah. Are there any, some, any young names fans should be watching to, to maybe try to plug those holes come training camp, you know, both on the blue line and then the bottom six? Yeah. On the blue line. I mean, it, it's going to be Pierre Olivier Joseph and Ty Smith kind of jostling to, to be on the third pair. Uh, Mark Friedman, 
will, will be around as well. So it's kind of – it's Ruido Friedman and those two youngsters trying to figure out who's going to be on the third pair. And then up front, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, there's all the players that Dubas brought in. Um, but then you also have an opportunity for Alex Nylander, uh, Drew O'Connor, Sam Poulin, and, and maybe even Valtteri Pustin, although of those four, I'd say he's probably the, the least likely to start the, the season here in Pittsburgh. But they've got a lot of people. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see if they have the right solutions there. I mean, my look on the bottom six is like, yeah, once again, heading into the year, it looks like a potential fatal flaw for this team. But it also can't be any worse than last year. It, it has to be better. So um, I think these young players are an X factor, though. I mean, we haven't really seen the Penguins, whether that's Mike Sullivan's fault or somebody else's fault, um, you know, get young guys in their lineup. But you look at the depth chart now, and there, there's a real path for some of these guys, you know, maybe a Drew O'Connor or a Sam Poulin to really come in and actually make a difference. What do you expect to happen at backup goaltender without Casey DeSmith? I think he's been, you know, a solid backup to Tristan Jari, uh, but now he, he is on to San Jose. Um, what do you expect to, to unfold there? And, and who do you think is the, the name you're looking at to be that kind of replacement behind Tristan Jari now? Yeah, the clear favorite entering camp is Alex Nedlevic, which I was pulling for Casey just because his name is a lot easier to, to spell <laughs> and say. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it was obvious something was up when the Penguins kept adding all these goalies. So with, with Casey gone, you know, the time, the time it, you know, it was probably time for him to move on. He just has not been reliable enough. But, you know, there's no sure thing that, that Ned, will call him, is going to be even better. I mean, he put up really good stats in Carolina a couple of years ago, but uh, that team and that scheme makes a lot of goalies look good. He went on to Detroit, which were rebuilding. <laughs> the Red Wings were rebuilding and put up really bad numbers. So, the truth is, is he's probably somewhere in the middle. So we'll, we'll see if he ends up being an upgrade over over Casey or, you know, maybe he's worse than Casey was. And then down the depth chart, they got Magnus Helberg. They signed Garrett Sparks to an AHL deal. And then top goalie prospect Joel Blomquist is going to start the year in the minor leagues, too. So a lot of new names, a lot of new faces there. And, you know, they brought Tristan Jari back. So I think it makes sense that they kind of shuffled out the other goalies. Something had to change, I think, with that position. Um, the I think there was a lot of debate in Penguins Twitter and, and cir- circles around the team, you know, going into the draft about trading this year's first round pick after they missed the playoffs, obviously drafted higher than they have in, in a long time. Um, but then they send a first round pick and a second round pick out the door to, to complete this deal. Is there anything more to read into that than they hope to be playing a lot longer next season and that draft capital of where they'd be drafting next season is not going to be as good as what they had this season? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I, I have been thinking about that. I mean, I, I don't know for a fact what they're thinking, but yeah, surely the Penguins expect to be a playoff team and they expect that pick to be at least in the 20s. So that's certainly a factor. But I also look at it as like, okay, so Dubas doesn't want to go all in on the team and he wanted to kind of, you know, thread the needle of having some future assets where when they were able to hang on to their, you know, an Owen Pickering, now I don't know how in demand he was. It's not like he's considered a blue chip prospect, but by hanging on to him and using this year's pick to draft Braden Yeager, they theoretically have some young players that might be able to get to Pittsburgh in time to to help this core before it's too late. Whereas, had they maybe traded those guys out and hung on to their 2024 pick, you know, that player might not get here in time and it's a change in the guard. So I don't know if that was part of the calculus, but um, 
theoretically by by using that pick on Jaeger and keeping Pickering and some of these young players, you know, there's a chance maybe they get here in time before, um, you know, Sidney Crosby and those guys, you know, retire or move on. Do you expect any more moves to be made here between now and training camp? Um, I, I think I read somewhere that they've cleared up about $3 million in salary cap space. You mentioned that little wiggle room at the top. Um, what, what do you think they might do with that? Is that something they might just want to go into the season with so that maybe you get to the trade deadline and you have the freedom to make moves that they didn't have this past season? Or how do you see that, that wiggle room unfolding? I think they're done, at least in terms of anything significant. Um, I mean, they really don't have that much cap space. I mean, they were projected to be about three million over. This just gets them, you know, within. I think it's like I saw six hundred thousand of the cap ceiling. So, and you know, even if they put Jake Gensel in LTIR, it's not like they can do anything meaningful with that. So, you know, I think this was one the one big move hanging out there. I mean, I wonder what the answer for them would have been had they not been able to execute this move. Maybe that's part of the urgency to get this one done is because I don't know if they had a, a plan B to kind of significantly shake up this roster. So I think this more or less is the roster we see going to camp. Maybe they bring in a, a guy on a, on a tryout agreement or something like that. But I think this is your team. And, um, you know, I think training camp is going to be fun. It, it's been a stale team. That's been well-documented. A lot of people feel that well, just a lot of the, the same faces and the same style of play. I mean, I think this year is going to be fun because Carlson's added to the mix, a lot of new faces. Um, you know, the team has a lot to prove. So I, I think uh, training camp is, is going to be compelling for once. Yeah, I wanted to ask about the expectations here as, as we get close to wrapping up. Um, does this make them a Stanley Cup contender? Does this make them a, a good team? I think the, the parallel I drew was on Twitter – earlier was I see a lot of 2000, 2001 here, Matt, um, where, you know, they, they kind of went for one last ride with Lemieux, Yager, Marty Straka, um, Alexei Kovalev, and, and those guys got to the Stanley or Eastern conference final, I believe, and then flamed out there. And then, then kind of the fire sale was on from that point, everyone started getting traded and the X generation started and led us where we are now with Sidney Crosby, Kenny Malkin in Pittsburgh. Do you see similar DNA there where maybe this is a team that, that could be a threat to make a deep-ish run, but it's still probably a little bit short on the talent to um, you know seriously challenge for the Stanley Cup? Yeah, sure. And I've made that parallel as well. I mean, the way I saw it was before this trade, I liked the things that Dubas did, but I didn't think it made much of a difference. I mean, the Penguins were still looking at, you know, a first-round playoff loss or maybe win one round at best with that team. Now I think there's a chance they could go on a deep run. I mean, I'm not going to put them, you know, among the top contenders in the Eastern conference. I mean, they're still probably at best the third team, the third best team in the metropolitan division, but they got a chance. They, they certainly have a lot better chance than they did as of Saturday. So I do think the Penguins got better and yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's all about fan expectations, you know, every individual can kind of set their own expectations or what they want to see. Maybe some fans think it's cup or bust, but I, I think you make a great call with that 2001 team. I mean, I think a lot of people in Pittsburgh, obviously the special circumstances with Lemieux coming out of retirement, but people look back on that run as, as, as a fun, fun time for the team. Uh, there was the, the game seven win over the Sabres with Casper scoring an OT. And then you're right. They got absolutely trucked by the devils in the conference finals, but you know, you look back on that, it was like it, it was a great ride for fans, even though it came up short. And I think there's a lot of fans out there um, would sign up for that. You know, if the Penguins didn't win the cup, OK, but just seeing, 
you know, Crosby and Malkin and Latang and now Carlson and this crew just give fans, you know, the, that thrill of a deep playoff run one more time. I, I think that would mean a lot to a lot of fans, even if they ultimately came up short. Yeah, and I think it would do a lot to change the narrative of, oh, man, they're just aging out like the, the LA Kings, like the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, you know, it, it would show a little life at the end that, that, you know, this was all worth something, right? And so I, I think that – and I remember that 0-1 team fondly because I was still – I was 11 years old. That was kind of the team that made me fall in love with hockey. So if, if we see this team go on a similar run, maybe you have some kids that are growing up now that maybe missed those Stanley Cup runs in 16-17 have something to attach to to get them through what I think is going to be a rebuilding portion to come. Um, Matt, any final thoughts before we sign off here? No, I, I'll just say selfishly, I'm thrilled that this finally got done. Um, I can actually go out into the world and not have to worry about checking my phone to see that Elliot Friedman broke the news that this trade happened or the Penguins announced it on Twitter. So I'm glad it's finally over after five weeks of kind of waiting for everything to come together. Absolutely. Well, it's all Matt, about it, me. It's all about it is, me. It is. It's ultimately all about us, right? This is this is why everyone does everything. Um, we wouldn't have been disappointed if we waited all this time and then it didn't happen. We just got to camp and it was like, well, I guess it's not happening, you know. So at least it all came together. And like I said, it's going to be it's going to be really compelling to see what happens this year um, with you know a player like him added to the mix and and so many new faces. Yeah, absolutely. I think it adds a lot of life to the situation, but. Um, Matt, thank you for joining me today. And um, everyone, please stay tuned for the rest of the week. We're going to have a lot more from Steelers training camp. Christopher Carter will be back on Wednesday and Friday with this North Shore Drive podcast. So make sure you're subscribed to the channel for that. Um, We'll also be having a lot more Pirates talk later in the week. Jason Mackey, Andrew Dustin are going to do their usual Tuesday video. So a lot more to come this week, but glad we got some hockey talk in here early. Um, And we'll talk to you all again soon. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the North Shore Drive podcast of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. If you're watching this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For six months of digital access to post-gazette.com for just $6, click the link down below in the description.